Today's Old West Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter chapter 41, verse 10, and chapter 43, verses 1 to 5. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give you, I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Saber in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Today's New Testament reading is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning, a sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will, live, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, 
Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're very pleased that you've come to join us and those who are here also via Zoom. We want to welcome you. And uh, we appreciate deeply each one who makes an effort to come together to fellowship together. These are uh, amazing days, aren't they, as we listen to news, as we see a variety of things. And the topic of the sermon, of course, is to love one another. It seems to be that repeating theme that John brings again and again. You know, last week we talked from the beginning of chapter 4 of 1 John about the idea that we need to test the spirits. Don't believe every spirit, but rather test them to see if they are of God or of evil. And he gave two basic tests. Do they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? And last week we walked through what each part of that phrase means. And he says, if they do, they are of God. If they do not, they are not of God. Then he gave a second test and he said, now look and see who is listening to what is said here and what is said here. Are they people who live a godly life or people who do not? Again and again, John brings back this concept that the way we live our lives is an exact window or an open window into our heart and soul. The way we live our lives will reveal to us and to all of those who know us or experience us within a situation of life of what we really believe and what we think and know of God. And he's going to go even further with this today in what he has written to us in the remaining verses of chapter 4. Remember, John began, 1 John, by saying, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And we talked a lot about the idea that the functions of light, first he says that, He who was with him in the beginning has come and has shown or demonstrated or manifest to us. He's put on display who God is. And so light first reveals God. But secondly, light as it functions within our heart and soul, it not only reveals to us God, but it also exposes that within us that should not be there or needs to be changed by God. It reveals and it exposes. And he went on with things like that. For he said, then if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So the light of God helps us understand where we walk and where we live our lives. We walk in the light. And then he went on in a few verses later and he says it's not only where one walks that is important, where we live our life in the light of God, but then he went on and said, but 
you should live our lives like Jesus lived his. Walk like Jesus did, he says. In other words, we live our lives not just simply in the light, which we do, but it tells us the light helps us identify how we should live like Jesus did. You see, the, the, the level that God places for us is not that we look at our neighbor or we look at our spouse or someone else or a family or someone we don't like really very well. And we say, well, at least I'm doing much better than he or she. So it must be all right with me. No, no, no. You see, John is saying, as Jesus walked. And then he goes on and he says, then obey or keep the commandments. Because as we walk with him or as Jesus walked, as God lives in us, then our lives become more and more like what he would desire. Obey. Keep. Remember, that's where he first introduced to us the idea of love your brothers, those who are in the faith. And then he goes on, and not only to that, he says, but you love them, but then I want to also warn you, you do not love the world. We talked about the distinction. And then he went on even further, and he said, and I want to tell you how you can recognize false teachings or teachings that belong to the Antichrist rather than to God. And then eventually the light, he's talked about the idea that the light shows us that we are children of God. We are born of God. And as we're born of God, God takes and he forgives us our sin, but he also becomes, he he lives in us, he puts his spirit in us, John will say, or he says, God lives in us and we live in God. The real definition of eternal life. Sharing the eternal life of God. We don't become little gods. No, 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 no. But we are born into the family of God. You see, the light shows us where we walk, how we live our lives. And it will expose to us what needs to change as it reveals to us God. And so he takes us through four chapters until at the end of chapter 4, he uses another word to describe God, which we are going to talk about today. He has said, God is light, and light is that which shows us, leads us, teaches us, redeems us, brings us to this point. But then he's going to say, but God is love. And what he's going to do is say is that light leads us to God. Light shows us where we should walk and live our lives. Light shows us this. Light shows us how to obey. Light shows us how to love. But love transforms us. You see, in 2022, we have begun to to describe or define love as often something that is kind of sweet, cuddly, and easy to get along with. And it could be all of the above. But what John is going to talk about when he describes God being love is that presence of God within us that is going to transform us, that is going to change us to the point where others can see the change and the reality of God living and changing us from inside out. And so that's what he says as he begins this. Look what he says in verse 7. And by the way, If you get nothing else from the sermon today, do not forget that. 
Love leads you. Excuse me. The light of God will lead you. But the love of God will transform you. Now he says in verse 7, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. See how he puts this together. First he's going to say this, if we're going to look at love, what is love? Then the first thing he says is love comes from God. God is the origin of love, and that's what happens. And so if we say to someone, well, I don't know if I can really love whatever, whomever, John is going to say to us, no, no, not isn't the question is, can I or me or you love someone? The question is, can God living in us love that person through us? And of course, there he, the automatic answer is, of course he can, because he goes on to say, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love is, does not know God because God is love. He's not just simply repeating himself. He's giving us a different focus. Love comes from God. But when we think, well, how in the world is it possible that God living in me is going to transform me? He answers that question by telling us, well, God is love. The very essence of the person of God is he's love. But this love is a love that is action. If you're married, can you remember the first time you ever told your spouse, I love you? Can you imagine you flipping through your cell phone? You know, dear, look at this. Wow. The last ski run. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, by the way, I love you. Look at this. Something else is happening. No, 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 no. You see what you would do if you're saying that you... You love someone. Of course, you give them that full attention, isn't it? And we come and we say, well, how in the world is it possible that we love because I don't see that capacity within me? Well, then he comes and says, well, the reality is God himself is love. And that love is so active and so transforming that it will change you and me from the inside out. You see, to become a true Christian, doesn't just simply make us a little bit better or a little bit nicer or that we are sweet and smile. But what it says is he who is a new creature in Christ is a new creation. God's love transforming us. Then he goes on in verse, the next verses and he talks to us about how we can know that love. He describes it. He says, in this the love of God was made manifest or expressed to us and among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In other words, he's going to define love for us. He's going to describe love for us. And this is the way that love is described and defined throughout all of the New Testament. Paul will say it this way in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Here in the, herein is the love of God demonstrated that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son to save us. John in his gospel says, for God so loved the world, he sent his only son. And it comes again and again. 
You see, love is action. It is not just saying, I think we should. Because eventually he's going to say to us, if that love of God has captured our heart and soul, then we will see these type of changes within our lives. He goes on to say that God is love, and this is the demonstration of God's love, is that he sent his only son. Think about that for a moment. God who has created all of our universe. To show us, to show you, and to show me that he loved us, he could have given us a star. If I understand correctly, there are millions of them. Or more. Uncounted numbers. He could have probably given us all. Wouldn't that have been absolutely great? Oh, my. This star is mine. Woo-hoo. Couldn't you see that as a kid walking home? Oh, you know how much God loves me? He gave me this. He gave me that. No, no, no. You see, he gave you something much greater than a star. He gave us, first and foremost, when he created mankind, he breathed into us the breath of life and we became a living soul. There is that part of you that lives forever. And he loves us so much, he gives us the responsibility to deal with that soul. But he, there is only one son. There is no other. Therefore, there is only one way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But there is one, and God gave him. He sent him into the world. And the world did not receive him. Think what it costs God to come. But the purpose for which he says in that verse, he came to bring us life. Paul describes it like that. You who were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God has made you alive together in Jesus Christ. He came to us who had no future, no eternal life in that sense with God, but only away from God, and he brought to us life. The only son. And then he says somewhat the same thing in the next verse, but it's different. He says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation, whatever your translation gives, for our sins. In other words, not only did God come to people who didn't like him. You ever think about that? Do you ever have some relatives who, no, you wouldn't. Because I grew up in this other type of community. There were certain relatives to whom I would love to go. And there were other relatives who, oh, really, Mom? Do we need to go today? You know, I'm so busy, can't I go pull weeds in the garden or something? Or isn't there something else to do? You think about this for a moment. Here's God who is holy. A God who is love. A God who is perfect. A God is all-powerful. A God is all-spirit. And he has this world of humans whom he loves. And yet they do not love him back. And they knowingly choose to do something else than God. And he says, that did not stop God. But he sent his son, his only son. 
And then he uses this word, whether it's translated in your Bible, atoning sacrifice or propitiation, it's the same word in the original. And we studied that one day, and I'm not going to go back to that, but what it really means, it literally is the same thing from the Greek. And then back to the Hebrew, it means the very top, the, uh, the, the, the mercy seat of the covenant, or the, the, what is that? Ark of the Covenant, thank you. And the reason that is important is because God said, on the day of atonement, the day when you offer sacrifices for your sins. He says, if you sprinkle the blood on that exact place, I will come and I, God Almighty, will meet with man. The promise of God. And what he's saying here is he sent his son who paid with his blood, his life. He took your and my place that God Almighty, the Holy, the Perfect, the Almighty God has guaranteed he will meet with us exactly there where the blood was shed. And so he says, oh, God loves us. And he sent us that, that we might know that that is true. Then he goes on and says, not only is this, but he says, in verse 12, is a very interesting verse. He said, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in or lives in us, and his love is made complete or perfected in us. It's something he hasn't told us up to this moment, John. But he's been writing to lead us to this verse, chapter 12, and or excuse me, verse number 12 in chapter 4. And all of a sudden, he's going to show to us a whole new truth. He's going to say, no one has seen God. God is spirit. God is that which was from the beginning and will be at the end. He says, now Jesus has come to reveal to us what God is like. But he says, in that sense, none of us have stood before the almighty God. He says, but... When the love of God is at work within our heart and soul, that love which transforms us, which makes our heart different and makes us people who know God, all of a sudden people will say, you know that, that Dennis, he was, he was like that. And in my former church, I don't know how many times I met people who would come and introduce themselves and they would say to me after a bit, you're that pastor from the church on the hill, aren't you? And I would always say yes. And then they would often almost sheepishly, almost uh, embarrassed. They would say, well, my, and they'd identify their relative or the friend they went to school with. And they'd say, they used to be like this, and now they're like this. You see, John is saying that when the work of God is happening in our life, specific in this area of loving one another, is that people will begin to see God is real. Because the way that person is acting is not the normal way of life. He is forgiving me or he's coming up and apologizing or he's saying, hey, I didn't get this right or hey, you are more important to me than other things. The invisible God is seen to be real through our lives. And then he goes on and he says to us very simply, by this we know that he lives in us or we live in him. He abides in us because he has given us his spirit. He goes on in verses 13 and 14 and 15 and he gives us 
three different ways that we can know that God lives in us. And one is His Spirit comes into us. And some of you might say, well, I've been trying this Christian thing for a while, but actually I feel worse than I felt before. The good news is, that might be actually God's Spirit kind of showing or speaking to us about things in our life that we would have been totally unaware of before. And God's Spirit begins to show like this needs to be cleansed and this needs to be and this. I know, I've gone through things like that. All of a sudden you wake up in the middle of the night and you think, oh my, did I actually do that? I've not thought about that for eons of time or years. And God in his faithfulness brought it back and said, Dennis, now is the time to say wrong and to say I'm sorry and repent. You see, God's spirit continually works in us. And there are moments when all of a sudden through God's spirit we realize God is real. And we see him loving someone else through us as he says here. Or we see him working in a way which we acknowledge and realize is God. So first he says, "By we know that he lives in us. By his spirit he is placed within us. And then he says in verse 14 that we have seen and we testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So that's the second thing that we know that God is living in us is we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the way to God. And then the third one he says, and then we confess that he has come to bring us life. And he says those three things, that we see the Spirit of God in us, that we acknowledge, we understand with our comprehension, and God helps us to do that, that Jesus Christ was the substitute sacrifice for me, but not only do we believe it intellectually, we confess it. In other words, our will says, that is what I believe. And he says, then the love of God dwells in us. This is an amazing truth. That God who is love lives in us. Then he goes on in the next verses 16 to 19. He says some amazing things there. And he takes us to another truth. He says, so we have come to know and to believe the love of God has for us. So when we understand that, that God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God abides in him. Now he's made the shift and he says, God is love. God has been light and this is what God as light will do. And now I want to tell you also God is love and what the God of love as he lives in your heart will do is he will transform your soul. He will transform why and how we live, what are our values and our life will look more like him. So he goes on and on and repeats this again and again. Let me just pull out one verse as the time is going by quickly. By this, love is made complete in us. So that process of God transforming us is getting more and more like he desires us to be. So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. 
For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been made complete in love or perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. As his last point that he makes in what he is teaching us, he will say that as the love God who is love lives in us, we will at some point have to come face to face with what we deal with regarding fear. He's going to tell us that fear and love cannot coexist coexist together. And he says that love is going to cast out fear. Now he specifically then puts it on, he says that fear often has to deal or dealing with judgment. I read a quote by a person saying the most people most happy with this world are the people who are the most happy about the world to come. The people most happy in this world are the people who are the most happy about the eternity to come. When I read it first, I thought, I don't know if I really agree with that or not. But then the more I thought about it, I realized that if you put it in the context of what John is saying, May I ask you the question about fear? If you take a millisecond to look into your heart and soul, do you find love or do you find fear? Do you find an anxiety when you think about the end that will come? Or do you find, I know he loves me and I know the God who is love lives inside me because I have experienced his spirit. I have experienced him coming in and transforming my heart until I love others like he loves me. Or is that anxiety? Because he is saying perfect love casts out fear. Now that doesn't mean that there's not wisdom. I always remember thinking about good fear. There's bad fear and there's good fear, isn't there? Good fear is... Uh, you know, I'm not as trusting as the average Swiss person I see on the street. When I come to your crosswalks, I know that every car is going to stop. But I always look, particularly if they're a really nice car, I look carefully, and then I wait until I see them start to decrease the speed, and then I walk. Um, I have seen Swiss who are so much more brave than I am. They just march out, and they, they stop. It's fantastic. I, I always remember one of our friends in Vienna when we lived there. I remember being with him, and his daughter had just started school, and she had gotten off the bus and was standing across. It's actually a, a place where it was a four-lane road, not so busy as it would be today. But I remember he... he looked and he shouted out his daughter's name and he said her name, said, hey, come! The daughter neither looked to the left nor to the right because dad had said so, she just ran across the four lanes. And I remember feeling this anxiety in my heart. You see, there's good fear and there's other fear. 
There's a fear that we do something right, but that might be God's spirit speaking to us and saying, okay, we get this right, but also evil will come and heap fear upon you in this whole thing of the final day. Do you know? And what John is saying to us here is we can know that God lives in us and we live in God. As he defines and describes to us eternal life. Now, Jesus, when he was asked, what is the great commandment? If you read it in Mark chapter 12, you'll find his answer is two-phased. He says this, he says, of course, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all yourself. And then he adds immediately, and the second is like it, you love your neighbor as yourself. You see, what he has done is he said, those two are, you, they, they cannot be separated. When one loves God automatically because God is inside of us and loving us, we will love others. Probably it's impossible to do the second unless the first is real. But what John is pointing out to us, if you look at the second, it will tell you what is in the first. In other words, if we look at how we live and how we love one another, it will tell us what is in our heart. So if we are to love one another, may I just ask you this question, what does love look like? Well, he said we are to love one another because God has loved us first. So it should be on the level of the way God has loved us. May I just ask you, is there any relationship, whether family, friends, church, that you have And if you were to compare it with the relationship you know that God would want you to have, is it equal? Because sometimes we hang on to things that give us permission and say, well, that person did something such and such to me, and we hang on to that. It gives us permission in our own thinking to do something we know God would not do. And what John is saying as he gets to the end, look at what he says. It's not only in relationship, let me just mention that first, but it could be also in the way we live godly in our life. Or the way that we stand for truth. I think in those three areas, we as, we as Christians often need God's input where we stand for truth and how we do relationship and actually then as well, how we live a God-like life. Because listen to what John says as he closes. And if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he can see, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And his commandment is to us, therefore, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John brings us to a conclusion. And he says, the world can see, you can see, we can understand how we love our brother. But the way we love one another tells the world that God is alive and real in us. Isn't it amazing? God loves you so much, loves me so much. He never wants us to be the same as what he found us. I used to say this often to my friends. God loves us so much, he accepts us exactly as he finds us. 
but he loves us too much to leave us there. Isn't that cool? Whatever else it means is you and I will walk with God. And that's the greatest walk you can ever have. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be together and to consider your word. And we know that John has written again and again about loving one another. To be honest, Lord, that must be one of the greatest challenges that Christians find. Because there's so much in our heart that wants to love ourselves first. There's so much that wants to hang on to things to justify things we do or say or think that we know are not God thoughts or God doing or who God is. And Lord, we want to today consciously give you the full right to come into our heart to live and to transform us, to make us more and more the person that you've created us to be. So we worship you and we ask the blessing of God upon each one who's here. In Jesus' name, amen.